Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, when we think about that, that name, Emmanuel, God with us. Of all the other religions in the world, Lord, they have gods who are not with them. Gods who are far off. Gods who are distant. Gods who are ready to come down and crush. But Lord, what a wonderful truth. Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, You are high above, but You came to this earth and dwelt among us. And Lord, still today, through the Holy Spirit, You dwell even still among us. We thank You, O Lord, Emmanuel, who is willing to come down to us and save us, not crush us, but save us from our sin and our rebellion. Today, O Lord, as we come to this time of opening Your Word, Open our hearts and our, our minds, Lord, to hear Your Word and be changed by it. And Lord, if there are any here today who do not know Christ as Lord, Lord, be born in them. Be born in their hearts today. Let them see You and save them, O oh Lord, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to... Titus, continuing our study there, Titus chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 8. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 this morning as we continue our study. This is Paul's letter to Titus and its instruction for the church, for the church, how the church can thrive in this world. We've seen the uh, all the qualifications for elders as Titus was charged with the duty of, of setting up elders in this new church that Paul had established on his final, fourth and final, most likely final missionary journey. Uh, he set up the church there, left Titus behind to set things in order. Titus had to put in elders and he began to instruct the people in God's Word. So as we come now today, we see uh, he is reminding, Paul tells Titus to remind them of good works and how to use good works in their life for the glory of God. So if you found your place, stand with me now in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, uh, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Have you ever seen a chameleon? Uh, they're a fascinating little creature, aren't they? There's actually 202 species of chameleons in the world. And what, chameleons are, what are chameleons known for? Changing colors, right? They change colors, so they can, they're in their environment, and, and uh, if they change environments, they can change colors to kind of begin to blend in with their environment, can't they? And, and so that's the life of the chameleon. They're just constantly blending in, blending in, blending in. Well, a lot of people think that Christians ought to be kind of chameleons in the world. Uh, a lot of people think that Christians ought to just kind of blend in. Blend in, just kind of make yourself kind of part of the world and, and just blend in with the world so that you're not causing a fuss and, uh, or anything like that, not drawing attention to yourself, just blend in. And so that the, the church services should just be kind of blended in with the worldliness and, and invite those kinds of things in and everything is just be blended in. The scripture tells us that we're not to be chameleons. We're not just to blend into the culture. We're to, uh, now that doesn't mean that we're to be completely separated from the culture. But we're not to, to blend in with it. We're not to just become part of the world. We're to be different, set apart, holy unto the Lord. People ought to be able to see that we are different from everyone else. As Christ says, we are to be in the world. We are here in the world. We're to live in the world. We're to thrive in the world, but we are not of the world. We should be different. We should be different. But in our difference, we ought to be pouring into the world to make our community, to make our world a better place. We're to do good works within the world. We're to improve things. For the glory of God. Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, Jeremiah in this chapter is, is writing a letter on behalf of God to the Jews who are in exile in Babylon. They're there in Babylon. And, and they're not kind of, they're just kind of set up their tents and they're just kind of sitting there and, and they're wondering, all right, what do we ought to do? Maybe God will take us back. And they're not settling in. They're, they're not beginning to, to settle in and participate in the community there. And so God sends them this letter. Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in verse 4, says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. You see, we're not to just simply blend in to our culture. We are to be different, but in our difference, we're to make a difference in the culture, in the world, for God's glory and God's sake. So today, as we look at this passage, and I think that's exactly what Paul is is telling Titus here, but here we find, dear church, Strive to make a positive impact in the world, doing good works so that the lost may see Christ in you and seek Him. Let me say that again. Dear church, strive to make a positive impact in the world, doing good works so that the lost may see Christ in you and seek Him. So let's unpack this and, and see where we, we find all of this in our passage today. First of all, as we begin to look at this passage, we see that uh, Paul reminds us to, to live to make a positive impact upon the world by doing good works. As a church, as the body of Christ, we are to live to make a positive impact upon the world by doing good good works notice there in the first two verses of chapter three remind them remind them to be submissive to authorities rulers and authorities to be obedient to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people We are to strive to make a positive impact in the world through doing good works, through making relationships, positive relationships within the world. The first thing that he tells us here is to be submissive to government authorities. To be submissive to government authorities. We're not to be rebellious in the world. We see a lot of unrest these days, especially after the election. There's a lot of unrest. And and we see even people in the past years, a couple of years, actually, we see a rebellion against all kinds of authorities. I mean, now we see uh, police officers being targeted, being targeted by people, killed in cold blood because they are authority figures. But that's not the way of Christianity. God tells us to be submissive to authorities, to give honor to uh, local authorities, to government authorities. How are we to do that? We are to treat leaders and authorities with absolute respect. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to agree with all of them. That doesn't mean we have to agree with all that they do. 
But when God puts someone in a place of leadership, we're to respect those leaders. We're to respect them and give them honor that they deserve. You may not agree with all of President Obama's uh, policies. Nevertheless, he is the man whom God has put there in that position for these past eight years. And God, all authorities are put there by God, Scripture tells us. And so regardless of what you may have thought about President Obama's uh, policies and his leadership, because he is in a place of leadership in our country, as citizens of this country, we're to honor him and respect him. As Donald Trump, the president-elect, comes in, some of you may not agree with all of that he has to, to uh, all of his policies, all that he does. I don't agree with everything he does, but he's the man who God put there. And we have to honor him, respect him, and treat him with the honor that he deserves, being in that place of authority. Paul tells us here that we are to be submissive to rulers and authority. We're to treat leaders with authority, uh, treat leaders and authorities with respect. That means also when you are pulled over by a police officer, you don't treat him with contempt. Just because he pulled you over for going a little fast, you're to treat him with honor and respect. And quite frankly, that is at the root of all of this that we see today with all of this, this dishonor of police officers. And I have a heart for police officers because my whole family are police officers. But we see this disrespect towards leadership, towards authority. And quite frankly, that's what's taught in our public schools. Kids aren't taught from the very beginning to respect authorities. They're taught to rebel against authorities. Authorities have no, no say in their lives. There's no discipline in our school, and that's the whole problem. And so when they get out of school and they disrespect their school teachers and they disrespect their principals and, and they're just, that's just kind of laughed off, they're taught that's what they're to do when they go out here into the world and Mr. Police Officer comes up and pulls them over, well, they're not taught to respect him either. And so why do you see so many kids getting killed by police officers? Because they're showing disrespect towards them. And they're defying them instead of being submissive to authorities. They're defying them and tempting them, pushing them until the bad happens. And I know there's, there's some corrupt police officers out there, but so much of what is caused today, so many of these deaths, police-involved uh, shootings that are happening today, quite frankly, are because of people's disrespect for authorities. If people would just listen to authorities, be submissive to authorities, a lot of the problem would just get rid of itself. Okay, I've chased that rabbit. It gets me a little hot, if you can tell. I... But we're to treat leaders and authorities with respect. We're also to pray for leaders. We're to pray for leaders. How many people have, over these past years, how many Christians, I wonder, who have complained about President Obama and his administration have been diligently praying for him? We're to pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy, let me flip over there real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
verses 1 and 2, Paul says there to, to Timothy, first of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We're to pray for those who are in leadership, pray for those authorities who have authority over us. We're to pray for government officials. We're pr to pray for those who rule over us. We're also to call to obey the laws of the land. To obey the laws of the land. Yeah, even the speeding laws. We're to obey the laws of the land. We're to, to give in to them. Now, there's a point that we become disobedient when those laws, uh, um, when those laws go against God's law then yes, we have to be disobedient because God is the highest authority. But as long as those laws are under God's law, as long as those laws don't break God's law, whether we like those laws or not, we have to abide by those laws. We're to be good citizens of the world that God has put us in. We're to pay taxes. We're to pay taxes. We're to pay our due. Whether we, we think we, we should pay as much as we do, that's all. gratefully we live in a nation where we can cast our vote and change government. But as long as those taxes are there, we're to pay them. And we're to do good. We're to do good. We're to work in our communities, work in our nation to make it better. We're to do good works in it. And sometimes that means for some Christians that we get involved in politics. I'm grateful for those Christians who are bold enough to, to run for public office and, and be in places of, of, of power and authority and make a difference for the name of Christ in our government. Pray to God he never calls me into that, but I'm thankful for those who, who are. And if God has, has put that on your heart, I thank you. Thank you for serving. I know there's some here who do serve, in, in, whether it be in, in government positions or in community positions in our community. I thank them for what they do. We're to work to do good within our community. But we're to be submissive to government authorities, but we're also to be kind to everyone. We're to be kind to everyone. Look there in verse 2. Speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That means, first of all, that we're to watch our tongues and our tempers. Now, we've already learned a lot about that in the first chapter of, of Titus. But we're to watch our tongue and watch our temper. We're not to, to just go out and, and let our temper rage uh, like a lot of the world does. Look at the world. Look at what's going on in the news right now with people going out and, and not just protesting, but in violent protest over the election. Right? That's not to be the Christian way, though. Now, we do live in a government where we can protest things, but we protest things peacefully. When abortion comes up, we're to protest abortion, but we're to do it peacefully not violently. We're to watch our tempers. We're to watch our tempers and our tongues. We're to be gentle. Be gentle. Now that word, to be gentle, means to be kind 
or courteous or even could mean tolerant. We're to be tolerant of the world. Now, that's not tolerant as the world defines tolerance these days. These days, the world defines tolerance that we Christians are supposed to be tolerant. And, and what they mean by we Christians need to be tolerant is, is that we embrace, accept, and embrace and celebrate whatever the world deems as right and good. And so when the world says, the secular society tells us nowadays that we're to be tolerant of homosexuality, the world is saying that we're to embrace homosexuality and celebrate homosexuality because the world has deemed that good and positive and right. That's not what, what we mean scripturally by being tolerant. Uh, that's not the real definition of tolerance, in fact. But tolerance is, and this is how we ought to live to the world, we understand that we live in a world full of sin. And we understand that the lost of the world, they're going to act like sinners. People with homosexual tendencies are going to live in a homosexual lifestyle. And we know that that's wrong in Scripture, but how are we tolerant for, towards homosexuals in, in this world? We, we're not to celebrate their sin, but yes, we do accept them as they are. We love them, and we tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that God will change their heart, and God will transform them, and God will bring them out of sin just as He has brought us out of our sin. That's tolerance. It's not accepting it. It's not celebrating it. But at the same time, it's not uh, going out here in, in hate speech and doing acts of hatred against the people that we may disagree with. Those who are living contrary to the Bible, they are sinners and they are by their very nature going to live contrary to what God's Word tells us. We're tolerant of that by loving them despite their sin and telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ so that God might change them and transform their life. We're to be gentle. We're to be kind, courteous, and tolerant. We're to be courteous, courteous, uh, perfect in courteousness, right? Uh, that word there means to be meek or humble. To be meek or humble. Like Jesus came and He humbled Himself. We are called to live in this world and to humble ourselves in this world. We're to consider others more significant than ourselves. When we look in the world and we see people hurting and we have the means to, to help them out of their hurt, yes, we are to sacrifice our own comfort, our own means to help them out of their time of hurt and heartache. We were to consider others more significant than ourselves. Be courteous. When I think about this, just thinking about uh, what a, a citizen, this kind of a citizen looks like, the citizen that God calls us to be in the world, to be in the world but not of the world, to invest in the world, to make a difference in the world. I, I think about Joseph. Think about Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. The guy who could have, he, he, he rightfully could have had a chip on his shoulder, right? 
But he goes into slavery, and as he goes into Egypt, he doesn't go forward with a ship, chip on his shoulder. But what, is he, what happens when he's sold to Potiphar? He goes into Potiphar's household, and he begins to serve with his whole heart, Potiphar's household. He begins to invest in Potiphar's household so that Potiphar is blessed by Joseph and all that Joseph does. He makes a difference. Yet, even still, there's Potiphar's wife who, who comes in and messes everything up and she tries to seduce Joseph and when Joseph won't have anything of it, she makes up a story, gets Joseph thrown in prison. Uh, yet again, Joseph finds himself at the bottom. But does he just... Give up? No, what does he do? He begins to work in the prison, invest in the prison, bless the prison with all that he can. He's there to make a difference. And, and he begins to bless the prison. The, the prison is blessed by him being there. In the end, finally, God raises him up there to be second in command in Egypt. And there he begins to bless Egypt. He works he invests. He does good in Egypt. He gives God all the glory. That's what we're to be. That's what we are to be in the world. We're to live to make a positive impact upon the world that we live in by doing good works. Second, we see here, as we do that, we remember that the basis, that is the source of our good works, is God's work of salvation in us. Let me say that again. We must remember that the basis, the source of good works, the source of our good works that we do in the world, is God's work of salvation in us. Look there at verses 3 through 7. Verse 3 reads, For because we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are able to do good works because of God's work within us. You see, we need to remember as we go out into the world, we need to remember what life was like before. What our life was like before. That's what Paul says. That's what Paul says. To, uh, because we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures. That's how we were. How, how, can, we, how can we treat sinners with with tolerance how can we be tolerant to to those who are blatantly disobedient to god because we were once like them we may not have the same sin that they have but we like them were living in complete disobedience to god we need to remember 
We need to remember that we're only different in the world because God has made us different. He has changed us. He has transformed us. If it were not for God's grace, we would be lost with no hope in the world. We need to remember what we were before Christ came into our lives. We also must remember the saving work of a triune God. This is a beautiful picture here. We see in the, this little verse here, as Paul kind of lays before us the work of salvation, we see that the work of salvation is a salvation that comes from a triune God. We see all three persons of the Trinity taking part in our salvation. Right? It's not just Christ. We, we typically focus on Christ when we talk about our salvation. And he kind of takes the centerpiece in the work, surely, but... But we see that it is a work of a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all taking part to bring us to salvation. First of all, we are saved by God, God the Father's mercy and grace. Look there in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, now, that's what we looked at last week, right? We do works not to get grace, but because of God's grace. We do works because He saved us. He doesn't save us because of our good works. So, He saves us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. According to His own mercy, according to His own grace, it is God the Father who chose to save us. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. God didn't have to send His Son to die on the cross for us. He could have left us in our sin and condemned us for our sin, and He would have been absolutely right in doing so. But God in His mercy and His grace provides salvation. It's not because of anything we did. Everything that we do outside of Christ deserves hell. Deserves everlasting punishment. Because everything that we do outside of Christ is in rebellion against the Father. It is by God's grace that we are saved. And then we see it's by God's mercy, the Father's mercy that we are saved, but then that salvation is applied by the Holy Spirit, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom God poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. It is the Holy Spirit who then comes it's God's grace that, that gives salvation, but it's the Holy Spirit who comes and washes us, regenerates us, gives us new life. Scripture tells us that these spirits, these old souls that live within us, we're flesh and soul, but these souls, these spirits are absolutely dead to God. And God sends His Holy Spirit to regenerate, to bring new life to these dead spirits. So that we can come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the Holy Spirit who comes and applies salvation. 
And he doesn't just stop there, but he, he continues the work throughout our lives in Christ. He regenerates us. He, he makes us new. He renews us. He makes these lives new. Behold, all who are in Christ Jesus are new creation. We're new create creatures in Christ. And that's through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And third, we see that it is the Son who makes salvation possible. It is the Son that makes salvation possible, whom He pours out, God pours out the Holy Spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, it was Jesus who came. It is Jesus who came and opened the door. God could not forgive us. God could not be even in our presence in a gentle, kind way. God could only give us judgment if it were not for Jesus Christ dying on the cross, taking on Himself God's judgment for our sin and our rebellion, and then being raised again so that we might have life in Him. God the Father wills. It's by God's grace that we are saved. The Holy Spirit applies God's grace, God's salvation, salvation work in us. And it is Jesus who makes all of that possible through His death, burial, and resurrection. We must remember the saving work of God. We can do good in this life in this world, in our community, only because God in Christ has saved us and given us that ability. We must remember that. We must remember that. If we don't remember that, you know what's going to happen? Yes, we're going to get mad at the world. And instead of loving the lost, we're going to despise the lost. When we lose sight of who we were and what God has done in us, who we are in Christ, then we're going to despise the world instead of love the world and bring them to Christ. We must remember God's saving work in us. Remember the basis of good works is God's salvation work in us. So, live to make a positive impact upon the world by doing good works. Remember that the basis of the source of good works is God's work of salvation in us. And in third, we must rejoice then in the profit of good works for God's glory, the lost, and for our own assurance of salvation. We must rejoice in the profit, what we gain, what is gain of good works, from good works, for God's glory, the lost, and for our own assurance of salvation. Notice there in verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, all that I've just said, so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. These things are excellent and profitable for people. We rejoice in these th things. We rejoice in our good works. We rejoice in making a difference in this world. First of all, because of God's glory. To bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. That's at the heart of everything Paul has to say. There's not 
anything that he says that is not kind of uh, lit up with the glory of God. He is all about God's glory. You see, as we begin to, to work in this world, as we begin to make a difference in this world through our transformed lives, people begin to take notice of that. They recognize that. And then what do we do? Do we say, well, thank you? No, we point them to Jesus. Why are you the way you are? Because of Jesus. Because of what God has done in my life through Jesus Christ, my Savior. We give glory to God. Always give glory to God. That's why this is so excellent. That's why good works are so excellent, because it brings glory to He who deserves glory. Now, the, same, the, the opposite is also true. When we live life and do good works to bring glory to God, when we live life and don't do good works, when we live life and do evil, wearing the name Christian, instead of bringing glory to God, we blaspheme the name of God. You ever think about that? When people look at your good works and, and they praise you for your good works, you give glory to, good, to God. But what do they do when they know that you are a Christian? You are a member of First Baptist Church down there. And you're out in this world gossiping? Cussing up a storm? Living life like the rest of the world? What happens then? You don't bring glory to God. You blaspheme the name of God. He says he's a Christian. That's what Christians are like. I want no part of it. Don't blaspheme the name of God. Live a life that will bring glory and honor to God. It also draws the lost to Christ. It draws the lost to Christ. Uh, this is that prophet for people. It's profitable for the lost as it brings the lost. It draws them to the lost. Now, uh, last week we were down in, uh, where were we? Down at the Baptist Convention down in uh, Alexandria. There we go. I lost the name there for a second. We were down in Alexandria and at the Baptist Convention at the pastor's conference there. And Johnny Hunt was, was speaking. And I, I enjoy Johnny Hunt. He, he's a great speaker. He's a First Baptist in Woodstock, Georgia. Uh, but Johnny Hunt has a great story. He has a great testimony. He was as lost as, as lost could be. Uh, he, he grew up just, I mean, he, he was terrible. Uh, he worked in a pool hall. He was a drunk. He was in and out of, of the local prison there. Uh, just as, as bad as a person could be. Got in knife fights and all kinds of things. And then God came into his life. One night he came to faith in Jesus Christ and immediately his life changed. Immediately his life changed. He gave up drinking. He gave up the pool hall. He gave up gambling. He gave up all of that stuff. And yes, his friends, they looked at him. All of his buddies down there at the pool hall, they looked at him and they laughed at him and said, yeah, he's, all right. he's got that religion. Yeah, he'll, he'll be back though. He'll be back thing was he was never back God began a good work in him and God's completing a good work in him and after a while the friends began to notice man there's something different about old Johnny 
And it was not just a, a, a thing of the moment, an emotional moment. He, something is different. He has changed. You know, he said, he told his testimony there at that convention, and, and, and he said that a, a lot of his friends, he told the story of many of his friends that came to faith in Christ because they saw a difference in Johnny Hunt, and they wanted to know what, what he had going on. And he was able to tell them about Jesus, and they came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. When we do good works in the world, giving glory to Christ, it draws the lost to Christ. This also gives assurance to the saints. How it's profitable for us, the saints. It gives us assurance. It gives us assurance because we don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because we're saved. We do good works because of the work God is doing in us. And when we begin to do good works in the world, when we begin to, to point people to Christ through what we do, making a difference in the world, living that transformed life in the world, it just gives us more assurance. I can tell you, I, I can testify, yes, I see my life before. And it's been a slow road some of the time, but I can see a definite difference in my life today. And it's not because of anything I've done. It's because of what God has done in my life. When we began to invest in our world, doing good in the world, the glorious thing is that God gives us assurance, assurance, assurance that He is working in us, changing us, making us like Jesus. Oh, what great benefit comes from doing good works that honor and glorify God and draw people to Him. So I want to challenge you today to make an impact for the glory of God. Make an impact in our world for the glory of God. Don't be chameleons. Don't just simply blend in and, and just go along with the world affairs. Be different. Be different. Be noticeably different. But be different in such a way that you're doing good in the world. And pointing people to Christ. Make an impact. And give God the glory and praise. Now perhaps you're here today. And you don't know. You, you know today that you're lost. There's been no transformation in your life. You, you can't do works because you don't know Christ. God's grace is offered to you today. Just like we read, it's by the Father's will. It's by His Father's will that He offers grace to the lost. Pray today that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to see Jesus. To come to a saving knowledge of Him this day. Give your life to Christ. Go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father.